Good morning. Give an honor to God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, to my pastor, to my mama and my daddy, my brother, and to all of you. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for this day. God, we ask for your revelation knowledge. God, we ask for your key insights. God, we ask that you would stir our hearts that none of us will leave here the same. We pray that the name of Jesus Christ would be glorified in our lives. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm going to read to you two scriptures, the first being John 3.16 and the second being John 4, 1 through 10. But before I do that, I would be remiss if I didn't take a second to talk about my daddy. I got to get some some tissue first, because I got to tell you some stuff. So now my father, now I didn't know this till I was 13 years old, is not my biological father. This is my daddy over here. Hold your hand up. I'm going to talk about you. You might need to get him some tissue too. But I didn't realize that he was not my biological father until I was 13 years old. And he tried his best, because I guess we didn't talk about the birds and the bees and whatever back then. He tried his best to explain it to me, because my last name is Turner and his is Thompson. And I didn't get it. Because he was the man that I had always known that provided for me. When my parents got together, there were, what, seven siblings? He married my mother, and she had seven kids. I don't know no other man that would have done that. I don't know any other man. that. And and most of us were boys, bad boys. (laughs) But my daddy, and that's my brother there, too, he'll attest, He was bad, too. (laughs) My daddy took all of us in and became a father and a daddy to us from day one. So, Dad, I'm here today because of your input, contributions, butt whippings, (laughs) and all the things that you've done to me. And I stand here today because I'm the man that I am today because of what you did and continue to do in my life. So I thank you for that, Pop. I feel like Jesus, when he was on the cross, and he told his mother, Mama, behold your son. And I don't think she really realized the gravity and the seriousness of that event. And I hope that my mother and father would recognize the gravity of today's event because they've never heard me preach. I mean, they heard me preach when I was supposed to be an MC. When you're a preacher, you just preach. But they've never heard me preach in a church setting. So my plan today is to preach. So I'm going to start with John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. 
I'm also going to read to you John 4, 1 through 10. Therefore, when the Lord knew that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John, although Jesus himself was not baptizing, but his disciples were, he left Judea and went away unto Galilee. And he had to pass through, a, through Samaria. So he came to a city of Samaria called Sychar, near the parcel of ground that Jacob gave to his son, Joseph. And Jacob's well was there. So Jesus, being wearied from his journey, was sitting thus by the well. It was about six, the sixth hour or twelve noon. There came a woman of Samaria to draw water. Jesus said to her, give me drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. Therefore, the woman of Samaria said to him, how is it that you, being a Jew, ask me for a drink since I am a Samaritan woman? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Jesus answered and said unto her, If you knew the gift of God. And I'm going to stop right there. My message today is entitled, This Gift is for You. For those of you who haven't heard my preaching style before, I try to preach very practical messages. I want to give you a word that's easily digestible. My goal is not to give you all the cliches and the fancy words and all the things that stir up all your emotions. Although emotions can be good, and emotions sometimes are needed to drive us from one point or one place to the next, but that's not my purpose. But I do want to stir your hearts. My wife, this is my wife right here, Lily, Lily Turner. We've been married for over 21 years now. And say amen. amen. Say amen. I don't know about y'all. 21 years is a long time. But I bet it was longer for her because she's married to me. And my father will attest to that. Because I'm no easy person to live with. Because I'm very distinct in how things should be done but she's been married to me for over 21 years but the one thing I have to say I know how to do is I know how to give good gifts I do it's true so for our 10 year anniversary I decided I wanted to give Lily something that she would remember for the rest of her life now for those of you who know my wife, my wife enjoys shopping. <laughs> That's a good way to say it. She enjoys shopping. And I'm going to stop right there because I don't want to get in trouble. <laughs> so for our 10-year anniversary, I decided I was going to take her on a shopping spree. And, well, I got to ask the ladies a question. I almost, I'll, Pat, wait, okay, I'm going to tell my Pastor Benjamin. He told me to put my notes down. So I'm putting them down. But let me ask you a question. Ladies, tell me what's a girl's best friend? Diamonds. Now, we know that's not true, but we say diamonds are a girl's best friend. 
And so with my wife, I decided I wanted to take her on a shopping spree. And I gave her two, two requirements. I said, you can buy, I took her to San Francisco. I said, you can buy anything you want. But you have to buy an entire outfit from head to toe. Because we're going to dinner tonight. And you didn't bring any clothes. <laughs> I, I told her this as we're going to San Francisco. And so I said, you have to buy an entire outfit from head to toe, one. And two, you only got four hours to shop. That's smart. That's smart. I thought that was smart. But it wasn't so smart because I didn't realize how much damage could be done in four hours. So the first store we went to in San Francisco, actually we only went to two stores, the first one was Nordstrom's. I had never been to Nordstrom's before. And so we went into Nordstrom's, and we, she looked and went her way, and I went my way. And, you know, after about two hours, I came back to give her the two-hour warning, like in football, two-minute warning. So I gave her a two-hour warning. And when I went in the store, she had all these women carrying clothes and shoes and... I had never, okay, I'm a simple man. I, I didn't know anything about a personal shopper. She had a line of folks bringing stuff. And I made the mistake of looking at the price tag. And when I looked at the price tag, I was like, oh, my Lord, what have I gotten myself into? And so when I looked at the price tag, and this is all true. She right there. You can ask her. I left out of the store. And went outside to get some air. Right? Now I'm in the city. It's a beautiful day. As I'm walking down the street, my cell phone rings. And I'm like, who is this? It's a number I didn't recognize. I answered the phone, and it was the credit card company. And they wanted to know, had my card been compromised? <laughs> this is all true. This is true. Because I didn't use the card, right? And no, I mean, it was, it was a lot of money going through. I don't remember how much, but it was a lot. And I told him, no, my wife is shopping today. Right? Okay. It's our anniversary. So we went on, and she bought a whole bunch of clothes, and we got down to about 40 minutes that was remaining. And I said, sweetheart, it's time for us to go. We have dinner reservations. So now I'm rushing her out of Nordstrom's, and like... I can't talk. Okay, I'll say it like this. She discovered no outfit is complete without jewelry. You got to have jewelry. But she spared me. She spared me. Because, again, I'm kind of slow. I didn't know that jewelry, costume jewelry was so expensive. So she said, okay, we'll go over to Macy's, my store, right? We'll go over to Macy's. So we walk over to Macy's, and we walk in there, and we're looking through this jewelry. And I'm like, wait a minute, this jewelry is like three, four, five hundred dollars for fake jewelry. <laughs> now, you know, okay, where I'm from, I'm like, look, just buy it from the people out on the street. They sell this big, <laughs> right? Right? They got jewelry all day long, ten dollars. <laughs> Come on, you know it's true. Right? So she buys this necklace. And again, that's 11 years ago. The, neck, the necklace and the earrings, I mean, no, necklace, earrings, and a bracelet, just beautiful, 
beautiful. It almost looked real. <laughs> you know, if you have an eye. I mean, it was, it was beautiful, and it was very expensive. And so I'm like, okay, fine, we're getting ready to leave out of the store. So we're walking now. Mind you, about this time, it's about 30 minutes left before we have dinner reservations. And so what I had planned for at this, the boulevard, some fancy restaurant I didn't know anything about that I knew it was expensive, I called her parents a year earlier and told them to meet us at this restaurant at 6 o'clock because I wanted to surprise her with her parents being there to celebrate our 10-year anniversary. And her father is a police officer. And so the last thing I wanted was to be late with dinner with this cop, right? <laughs> you should see, okay, so you should see our, our wedding pictures. And he's big, he's pretty big, big man. So for our wedding pictures, we're taking a picture, and he grabs me in a headlock. <laughs> now that's what's in our photo album, just to give you an idea of this man. And so we're, we're running late, and I'm rushing Lily. I'm like, Lily, we got to get out of here. And so Lily is like, okay, okay, okay. Then she's walking out, and she looks down, and what does she see? A ring that matches the set. And I'm like, Lily, no, we got to go. We don't have time. She's like, no, I just, just let me try it on. You know how you women do. Just let me try it on. Just one more thing. <laughs> so we pull the ring out, and I'm telling her, we got to go. We got to go. It's, you know, it, we don't have the time. She takes the ring out of the case. The lady gives it to her because salespeople, they always want to sell you something. So they hand her the ring, and I'm like, let me see it. And I don't buy fake rings. I'll buy, I'll buy rings, but it got to be the real deal. Now, I don't mind the necklace, but the ring has to be real. And so they hand her the ring, and I take it from her, and I look at it. I'm like, here, put this back. It's a size six. She's a six and a half. So I'm thinking, all right, I got it. Let's go. What does Lily say? No, can I try it on? I'm like, if you try that ring on, it's going to get stuck. What does she do? Try it on. What does it do? It gets stuck. So I'm like, Lord, so now I go into her purse. I pull out the lotion. I'm getting the lotion all on her hand, trying to get the ring off. We finally get the ring off. We jump in the car, drive two blocks. I had made reservations at a hotel that was literally two right turns away. I didn't know that at the time. Literally two right turns, jump out of the car, valet the car. The gentlemen come down. We go up, change, come back down, and the bail captain says to us, where are you going, sir? I said, I'm going to boulevards. He says, perfect. Here, take the house limousine. I was like, thank you, Jesus. Now I'm really important, right, because I'm going to pull up with her parents in a limousine. So we get to the restaurant, and literally as, we, as they opened the door, the table where her parents were sitting was straight in front of me. It's just like that sign right there. They could see us as we walked in the door. And so we walked in the door, and we sit down, and we started talking to them, recanting the day's events, and her dad was laughing and, you know, talking about, you know, I appreciate you taking care of my daughter and so on and so forth. And then I turned to Lily and I said, um, you know, I, again, we're talking about the day, and I took out something that I had bought earlier. And I said, sweetheart, here is, I'm in my pocket, and I gave her a ring. It was a real diamond ring, not a fake diamond ring. And not only was it a real diamond ring, it was the exact 
same ring that she had. The, excuse me. She, it was the exact same fake ring that she had tried on earlier, but it was real. And I had that ring made. The ring didn't even exist up until that point. I went to a jeweler, and I told him, make a ring for my wife, and this is what I want it to look like. That's pretty good, huh? (laughs) Here's my point. If me being a simple little man took the time to find a hotel, took the time to connect with her parents, took the time to have a ring made, and on and on and on because of my love for her, how much more the love of God for you? When you think about John 3.16, long before any of you were ever created, God prepared his son, the one and only true gift for your salvation. And we've read this scripture many times. But see, sometimes we become so common with scriptures that they lose their importance or their significance. I'm here to tell you today, the gift that was prepared for you over 2,000 years ago is still viable today. In fact, for me, it's even more important. I don't know about any of you, but I need Jesus today more than I've ever needed him before in my life. Not a day passed by that I don't need him more and more and more. In fact, the more that I know, the more I know I need him. Now, what about you? See, sometimes we, we pacify ourselves. Sometimes we're, we're content with the fake. See, Lily, she didn't even know that she needed a ring. Because, you know, when, when she saw that other jewelry and the necklace, she's like, wait a minute, I need a ring to complete this. That's how some of us are. We see things, we see people, we long for relationships, we long for stuff, thinking that it's going to complete you. Sometimes we just settle for the fake when Jesus is the only thing that's real. All of this other stuff is going to pass away. You know, I think of sometimes how we, we even overeat, thinking that it's going gonna, it's gonna to satisfy us. Right? Oh, it's the holiday season. I had to talk about food, too. But we eat and we eat and we eat knowing that we're full, thinking that that next bite is going to be more satisfying. But I'm here to tell you, only Jesus satisfies that need. He's the only one that will satisfy those hunger pains, those soul hunger pains. So I challenge you not to accept the fake anymore. That's, that's, that's my first challenge, and I'm going to challenge you several times. But my first challenge today is not to accept the fake, but accept the real, and that's Jesus. In John 4 and 1, it talks about a woman who was a Pharisee. Excuse me, a Pharisee. Was a Samaritan. And it's interesting when you start to look at that passage of scripture, the Samaritans had nothing to do with the Jewish nation. And the reason why they had nothing to do with them, there were two reasons primarily. 
One, because they were half-breeds. They were Jews who went out and married Gentiles or non-believers. So the pure Jews felt like they were less than them. The second reason why they had nothing to do with them was because the Samaritans believed that the place of worship was Mount Gerizim, where the Jews believed the place of worship was Jerusalem. So think about that for just a minute. They all believed in God. They all all believed there was a time and a place to worship, although different. They all had the same blood running through their veins, but yet they had nothing to do with each other. We still got the same problem today in the world today. We separate ourselves because of ethnicity. I'm talking about in the church. I ain't talking about out the church. We separate ourselves from other denominations. We separate ourselves from other ethnic groups. And I know that we're unusual and that we have people of all different cultures here. But even in this place, if we're not careful, we have Koreans over here, African Americans over here, 50 plus crowd over here. I'd be part of that crowd now. See, in the body of Christ, there's only one, I'll say it like this, in the body of Christ, there is no separation. But we separate. See, even Jesus himself, he said, there's only one thing that separates us. Either you're a believer or a non-believer. That's the only separation. In fact, when his own mother and brother came to him, he was in the house preaching one day. And Jesus was in the house, and it was crowded. His mother and brother were outside. And the disciples came to Jesus and said, Jesus, your mother and your brother, they're outside. Jesus stopped and turned to them and said, Who is my mother and my brother except them that do the will of the Father? That's the only separation. All of believers, all of us, We have the one thing in common, and that's Jesus. There's one body. So let us not be uh, the type of persons that would divide ourselves from other folks because it's not right. Don't get quiet, please. (laughs) Don't get quiet. So the Samaritan woman had an issue in that, again, she was from Samaria, She was a woman, too. We'll talk about that shortly. But also, when you think about it, she went to the well at 12 o'clock noon by herself. And my two daughters were here earlier today. They're five years apart, 18 and 13. And whatever they do, they go to the restroom, they go together. (laughs) They want to go to the store, they go together. And I've noticed that about women. I've noticed that. Is it true? Women do stuff together. Why didn't this woman have somebody at the well with her? She was alone. She was an outcast. And maybe she was an outcast because she had five husbands. And... And the one that she was living with 
Wasn't a husband either. Now, I, I got to tell you, I, I meddle. I meddle. I do. Everywhere I go, I feel like I'm always the person that got to set stuff in order. I do. I just feel compelled. <laughs> Shacking up and living together, it wasn't right then. It ain't right now. I don't care how you think, how you feel, how smart, how many degrees you have. I don't care how much money you have. Shacking up ain't right. Sleeping around ain't right. Now that's what the Bible says. And we have to decide, are we going to adhere to the scriptures or not? It's interesting in that. The scripture talks about that shacking up and sleeping around is the only sin that you do to the body. All the others. But sleeping around, let it not be a name among us. Amen. Somebody say amen. amen. <laughs> so this particular woman, again, she was at the well by herself. And so I conclude that she had to be an outcast. She had to be someone that society had just said, nothing for you. You don't belong. And I know many of us have had that same feeling, that I don't belong. I just don't fit in my family. I'm different from everybody. I go to church, I'm an outcast. I go to work, I'm an outcast. Every I'm on the basketball court, I'm an outcast. They don't pass me the ball. Every place you go, you feel like you're an outcast. But I'm here to tell you, Jesus, the only true gift, has a place for outcasts. See, Jesus made the woman a promise. He said, listen, woman, I'll give you a gift that you'll never thirst again. I'll give you, in fact, I'm going to give you a gift of living water. I'm going to give you a gift that's ever springing up inside of you. A gift that's going to cause other folks to live. And this is how you can tell if you're a believer. If you walk in a room and every time you walk in that room, people feel down and sad and, and beat, old, beat down. Ain't no living water flowing out of you. Ain't no living water. You got to inspire. You got to encourage. Your words got to have life. Your words got to cause people to, to connect to possibilities. That's what Jesus did. In only three years, he transformed the entire, he, he transformed history in three years. In three years of ministry, he caused all of us to be here over 2,000 years later. Are we transforming anything with our lives? Are we transforming our workplace? Are we transforming our relationships? When people look at our relationships, do they say, that's, that's a godly uh, a couple. They're a Christian couple. I want to be like them. What do they have? Jesus gave this woman living water. He provided the true gift of life that caused her never to thirst again. 
And when you read later on in that passage, she went throughout the whole city telling the folks about this man who, what did he do? Told me that I had five husbands and was sleeping with somebody else. (laughs) But it changed her life. He gave her the true gift. What do you have need of today? What's your need? Is it bread? Jesus said, I'm the bread of life. Is it a door? He said, I'm the door, the only true door that man will come into a relationship with God. Do you need that door? Maybe you just need water. Maybe you need to be refreshed. Maybe you need a fresh outflowing of the Holy Spirit of God. Because sometimes in church we miss it. I'm sorry. Sometimes we think, I got it. I got it once. I'm good. And then we walk around like my wife would have with that fake ring on. When Jesus said, I got the real gift right here. You have a need, and God is looking to fill it through the gift of Jesus Christ. The truth be told, many of us have been saved for a long time. And there are some new converts. But when you talk about being saved, that means that God is taking you And providing the means whereby you don't have to suffer for your sins. That's one aspect. He's providing a way. He's providing for you everything that you need. He saves you from the wrath of God. But the challenge often in churches occurs when we want a savior but we don't want a ruler. We want a savior but we don't want a lord. We want to be saved, but we want to live and do whatever we want to do without being questioned, without being checked. And as a result of that, many of us live beneath the privileges of God. Because he's our savior, but you haven't given him the lordship over your life. So thereby you live beneath your privileges. I challenge you today to make him your lord. And I'm talking to the people that's been in church and say, I got him. But is he your Lord? Have you given him the control of your life? Have you given him, and I look at this on on, uh, license plates and back of cars where people say, God is my co-pilot. Let me tell you something. Let me tell you something. God is nobody's co-nothing. Not yours and not mine either. He's the pilot. You a passenger in the back of the plane. (laughs) Unfortunately, many of us We try to get God to conform to our wishes. 
I'm going to go out and I'm going to marry this woman that God told me not to marry. A non-believer. I'm a believer. I want to marry this non-believing woman because she's fine. God told me not to do it. I marry her. Now I got problems now. And I'm doing everything for God to, 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 I'm doing everything that God would change her when God told me not to do it. I go take a job that God told me not to take out of state. You remember Living Hope and you see you have better horizons so you think you want to go out of state and God called you to be a Living Hope. But that other job pays a lot more money than a job you have now. And you take that job and you tell God to bless it when God told you, stay right here and live in hope. Or wherever you are. And I know some of you are members at other churches. If God told you to do something, don't go back to him and tell him to change what he told you. Now I have kids. I wish my kids would come and tell me to change something I told them. But we do it to God. And the sad part is we feel justified in doing it. God is a merciful God. He's a God of grace. But beloved, some decisions that you make, you're going to have to live with them. He said, I have given you this gift, this precious gift in my one and only begotten son. Will you take them? And not just half of them. Will you take all of them? Will you take everything that he is? And will you give up everything that you are? I, I, I can hear some of you saying, you know, I've been saved. I got it. More like my son, my 13, no, 14-year-old son. He has this saying, I got this, Dad. I got this. And the truth of the matter is he's clueless. That's the truth. That is the truth. He is clueless. At 14 years old, you got nothing except an appetite. That's all you got. But I can hear some of you saying, I got this. I got that gift. I got my education. I got a good job. Have a house. I got a nice car. Got a pretty little girlfriend. Handsome little boyfriend. I got this. That was the same attitude that Nicodemus had before he met Jesus. I got this. He was a ruler of the Jews, member of the Sanhedrin. He was a man of power, had influence. He had everything that many of us clamor for today. But I could imagine one day he heard Jesus preaching. And Jesus' words stuck to him. I could imagine that on that night, he was laying in his bed, tossing and turning, remembering the words of Jesus Christ. So much so that th those words caused him to get out of bed. He remembered the signs and the wonders and the miracles. And as a result, he got out of bed. And the scripture says that he crept to Jesus at night when nobody was around. And Jesus said, brother, brother Nick, 
I know you're an educated man. I know you're a ruler of the Jews, a member of the Sanhedrin. But you don't have the gift. You got all of that stuff. But there's still one thing you lack. Beloved, many of us, if we were honest, would admit there's still some things that we lack. I'm here to tell you Jesus has it for you. He's the gift. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to close. But I need you to do something for me. I need you to search your own heart. The Bible says, let a man examine himself and see if you're in the faith. See if you are a follower of Jesus Christ. Examine yourself to see if you follow the teachings. Because sometimes we hear and we say, but we don't live it. Examine your own heart today. Have you received the gift? And maybe some of you have received the gift. But you know there are still areas of your life where you lack. There are still areas of your life where you need help. I need help. I'm standing already, not just because I'm preaching, but because I know I have a need. I have a need every single day. If that's you, stand with me. If you find that you don't know him, stand. If you want to know him, stand. If you find that there's areas of your life where you need more of the gift, stand. Jesus said, I'm that true vine. I'm the source. Not your mama, your daddy, your education, but me. For those of you who are standing, let's pray. Father, these are your people. And God, they had the courage to stand and say they need more of you. God, give them that gift. God, whatever that gift be, whether needs they need a door, open the door for them. Whether they need bread, God, give them bread. God, whatever they need, if they need this water, give them that living water, God. Cause them to be all that you created them to be, God. Let there be a stirring in their hearts like never before. To carry out your plan, God. Speak to them in the midnight hours. Comfort them in the areas where they need to be comforted. That the name of Jesus Christ would be glorified. Thank you, Father God. Thank you, God, for moving in this place. Thank you for meeting our needs. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Praise the Lord.
Praise the Lord. Listen, if, if you stood and, and even if you didn't and you want more ministry, we're going to just leave these altars open and some of our lay pastors and associate pastors and ministry leaders will be here to pray with you at the end of this service. Uh, we, we would love to just minister to you. We're here for you. We're so thankful that you're here today. And uh, I, I'm just so, so thankful to be in the house of the Lord with the people of God. And I'm so thankful for that gift of life, that gift of eternal life that comes to us through Jesus. As Pastor Kent said, sometimes we take it for granted. We become too familiar with things that are, are precious. And when you become familiar with precious things, they cease to become precious. Because something cannot be familiar and precious at the same time. But God wants to defamiliarize the precious things in our hearts and minds. And first and foremost, the gift of eternal life that comes to us through faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. It is the most precious gift that has ever been given. And God wants to make it, wants to defamiliarize it to us. Turn it into a precious thing again. You know, I found I've been married not as long as Pastor Kent and Lily have been married, 21 years, but I've been married 13 years. And over that 13-year period, again and again and again, I found that my wife and I have become too familiar with one another. And again and again and again, we've had to remind ourselves. We've had to come back to that place where we remind ourselves of the preciousness of the gift that God gave us when he gave us one another. Sometimes my daughter gets on my nerves. And I have to remind myself of the preciousness of the gift. You know, when she's climbing all over me. and You know, yesterday she elbowed me in the neck. I caught it. I said, she tried to collapse my windpipe. She could have put me to death right there. But I had to remind myself of the preciousness of the gift that God gave me when he gave me my daughter. And we must remind ourselves on a daily basis of how precious the gift is. Pastor Kent talked about how he and his wife, when they walk through difficult times, they can look back on that 10-year anniversary celebration and remember the preciousness of the gifts. Many of us can look back on that moment when we came to Christ And look, there's some of you here today and you can't remember that moment. Let me tell you something. If there was not a moment that you can remember when you came to Christ, perhaps you haven't come to him. There's got to be a moment when you make a decision to receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. It's not about growing up in church. I don't care where you grew up. It's not about hearing scriptures when you were growing up. It's not about being a member of a church or having your butt in a seat and your name on a list. It's about having your name written in the book of life. It's about making a decision. And if you're here today and you have never made that decision. See, I don't remember the day. I don't remember the time. Let me tell you something. This is the day. This is the time. Today is the day of salvation. Make a decision today. Define the relationship with God. You need to have a DTR with God today. So. You've been friends with benefits for too long. Come on, somebody. It's time to close the deal. It's time to make this thing official. You know, don't do like that preacher. I'm not going to say his name who's been dating that girl for 16 years and won't marry her. That ain't right. Nothing right about that. Marry that woman. Some of you have been flirting with God for 16 years. Coming to church, talking about... And he sat down with her last week, said, I need you in my life. As what? As a friend. After 16 years, that's all I get? I need you as my friend? 
Some of you have been doing that for, for, for years. God, I need you in my life. As what? Well, I need you to heal me when I'm sick. I need you to provide for me. Friends with benefits. That's all you want. But he wants to be your savior and your Lord. Your king. Been shacking up with Jesus. Come on, somebody. It's time to make this thing right. It's time to make this thing right. And so we're going to close the service now, but these altars are open. And even if you didn't stand, you need to come. Some of you just need to come up and say, look, I need to make this thing real. I need to DTR with God right now. Somebody needs to take me by the hand and lead me in a prayer and say, God, let me just make this explicit. One of the things we tell the young people here, we tell the young men, in your dealings with the young ladies, don't you be going out to lunch all the time with them and taking, taking a young lady out to Starbucks all the time and, and it's all ambiguous. Six months later, she doesn't know, are we together? Are we not together? Well, are we on a date? Are we not on a date? So let's go to dinner. Take her out to a fancy restaurant. Said, no, 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 listen. When you want to take her out, you sit her and say, I want to take you on a date. You got to use that word. Make it explicit so there's no ambiguity in the relationship. Because then she sees you out with, with, to lunch with somebody else. She says, what are you doing? I thought, we no, we were just friends. So you don't make it explicit because you're afraid of commitment. That's how a lot of people are with God. Don't want to make it explicit because I don't want the commitment. I just want the benefits. Forgive my sin. Heal my diseases. Bless me with some money. Help me get a better job. I want the benefits. But you know what? Benefits without intimacy, intimacy without commitment is adultery. And some of us here have been committing adultery with God. Because we want his bennies. But we don't want any of that C word. Commitment. It's time to DTR with God. It's time to get it right. Father, in Jesus' name, I speak your blessing over this house, over each and every one gathered in this house, in the name of Jesus. I thank you for the word that we have received today. I pray that you'd bless Pastor Kent. I pray that you would restore his fortunes like streams in the Negev. Lord, as he has poured out himself to us today, as he has poured out of the treasure that you have poured into his heart, I pray that you'd refresh him. I pray that you'd renew him. I pray, Father, that a blessing would be added to him and his household such as he wouldn't have room to receive. And I pray, Father, that as we receive these words, as they're implanted in our heart, as the Holy Spirit comes and plows the soil, I pray that these words would bear fruit some 30, 60, and 100 fold. And I give you all the glory for it. In Jesus' mighty name, amen.